Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful to be in the Cornelia studio where I just broke, I think, the microphone and then I dropped my laptop. So this is going off to a great start. Um, Happy Friday and happy ponytail weather. I don't know if you're watching me online or on the streams, but it is definitely hot outside and us ladies know how to throw our hair back. And today is one of those days. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for listening to me on WSIC. And if you're not on the radio at 105.9 105.9 or 100.9 FM or 1400 AM, you can always listen to us on Facebook Live and the social media platforms. Uh, thank you. We're going to have a great show today. Uh, in our second segment, we are going to welcome Senator Deanna Ballard. Now, she is not serving in the Senate currently, but she is trying to be your next lieutenant governor. So we are going to speak to her all about that. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. Um, But right now we're going to talk a little bit about the budget and who doesn't love talking about a budget. Well, I mean, most of you, I know, because when you hear budget, it's like cringe because that means you can't go to that Tuesday night dinner because you're on a budget. But this is a little different. It's a $32 billion budget that's currently being negotiated between the House and the Senate. Um, Then after we speak with Deanna, we're going to go to the veto watch. There are six bills now that we need to reconsider after Governor Cooper has vetoed them. So we're going to go through those bills and talk about why. And actually, I pulled down his veto statement so we can hear from the man himself about why he did not like the bills that we have put forth. At the end of the show, We're going to have a conversation, and this is going to be a little bit about a, let's see, caller participation. And again, we do take all calls during the show, and you can call the studio phone number at 844-STUDIO-4. That is 844-788-3464. You're welcome to call in. Uh, We won't take callers when we speak to Deanna Ballard, but we will be taking callers throughout the hour otherwise. Um, But I'm going to ask for you to weigh in something that I'm really heavily considering myself. And this is this whole casino slash entertainment venue debate that is currently going on, or at least there was legislation that was leaked to the press this past uh, two weeks ago. There's a lot of conversation about what does this look like and how are we going to vote on it? I am absolutely seeing both sides of the issue, so I'm going to ask for your input because I want to hear from you and how you would like for this to unfold. Then lastly, if we have a little bit of time, we're going to talk about the ferry versus tolls road. So I was grateful that Nick Oshner, uh, WBT reporter, was um, very adamant about covering a great story, and I hope some of you saw his investigative reporting on WBT about how North Carolina has the second largest ferry system in the United States behind the state of Washington, and some consider it an absolutely economic engine, and they want to make sure that most of those lines remain free. And some of us others uh, who live with toll roads actually say, well, if you're going to pay for that convenience of being able to access a certain area faster then you too should enjoy the ability to pay for it. So we've had a very big conversation about that. And my understanding is um, we are going to have some further discussions and some media coverage. So I wanted to 
go through that with you all. But I do want to say thank you again for listening to This is Senator Sawyer on WSIC Radio. Haven't been around a lot because it's summertime, but not because I'm just laying at the beach, which I hope to be doing next week. It's because we travel a lot for legislative conferences. And it's before I got elected, I thought, oh, those are just seems like big, you know, breaks and you're not doing anything. But man, when you get to those, like the one I was at last week or the week before last in Charleston, you learn so much from other states. What are they doing? What is working? What isn't working? And I really enjoyed because I have a heart and a head for the transportation system, going to the port of Charleston, seeing how that is such an economic driver for the state of South Carolina, learning how we can better support our own port in Wilmington, North Carolina. What are the challenges and how do we attract more business? And those kind of things are just lifelong lessons that you learn and you learn them for good and for bad and see what other states are doing. So thank you for um, the folks who filled in for me and you guys who are continuing to watch because we are listening because um, it is important to uh, have those conversations. Um, and the last week again was when I was with uh, National Coalition of Insurance Legislators. Yes, that is called NerdFest for some of you who don't like insurance. But I do appreciate that because you can see what's happening all over the United States, especially like states like California, where large companies are no longer writing business anymore because the economic environment that has been forced upon them by overregulation is causing people to lose their homeowner's insurance. Same thing is happening in the state of Florida. Maybe not so much economic regulations, but absolutely uh, the cost to rebuild after hurricanes. And what lessons can we learn to make sure that North Carolina doesn't get in that same situation? So those are two of the reasons, some of the reasons why I wasn't around. And so I thank you for those who filled in for me, and I'm so appreciative of the time. Um, so before we get to Deanna Ballard after the break, I do want to go through the budget watch and what's the holdup. Now, remember, the budget for North Carolina runs from July 1 to June 30th. If this was the federal government, you'd be hearing all of these reports about government shutdown and this business or this agency is not going to be able to open. I know they usually do the park system because everybody loves a park. Um, but that doesn't happen in North Carolina. We adopted something that's called a continuing resolution so that when the budget does not uh, is not passed by the time that the fiscal year starts, the government does not shut down. Um, Sometimes I think, I don't know if that's a good thing. I wish we kind of did have a breakdown because it would force us to get it done at the time. But as I've learned through my service that it is very difficult to negotiate uh, between the House and the Senate because they do absolutely have similar priorities, but with different views on how to get to those priorities. And one of the big priorities that you have seen in the paper and, uh, and online is that the personal income tax reduction. It has been a long-held uh, belief of Senator Berger and the finance chairs in the Senate, uh, traditionally, regardless of who they are, is that we need to lower the income tax or the personal income tax for all North Carolinians. We did that last session. Um, in last session, uh, we did a graduated reduction of income tax to go from 5.25% all the way down to 3.99% starting in 2027. So that is 
well, that is where the goal is, is to get the taxes lower for everyone so that everyone pays less, regardless of your income level, except for we raise what's called the minimum deduction, so or the minimum threshold for which you have to pay taxes. So right now, the first $25,500 of your income is not taxed at the personal income level. So our goal is to, because there has been an overcollection of taxes, even though we've cut taxes in the past, which they said the chicken little said the world's going to fall if we continue to reduce taxes, and thankfully they haven't. Um, so we we now have an overcollection of taxes, and so the goal is to return that money to you, and that is where the Senate wants to really advance those break um, for income taxes so that we can return your money to you faster. Um, and the House it has a little bit different because they're nervous about cutting taxes too fast and not being able to honor the commitments we have already in our budget. So, so you can see how two sides, two Republicans, both has the same idea, but just have a different view on how that's going to go. So we're working through some of that. Um, there is issues with transportation as well, something that I've been headed up. We are going to get ready to go to a break. And so I can talk about that a little bit after we have Senator Deanna Ballard on the line. But thank you so much for listening to Senator Vicki Sawyer on WSIC. And we'll talk to you in a minute. Well, welcome back, everybody. I am so excited to introduce a friend, but also a colleague, and possibly your next lieutenant governor. Senator Deanna Ballard is on the line. And Senator, before we say hello to you yet, I, I, I got to brag on you first, okay? So what I've, I do, I do. So thank you so much for calling in. This is uh, Senator Deanna Ballard on the line. But when we were in the throes of COVID, in fact, I almost shudder when we even say that word anymore. But you were right there, so graceful, so strong, but you led the Senate, and I would argue the General Assembly, to reopen public schools. You, as a, you, are in, or you were the uh, chairperson for the Education Committee. All of the emails were coming at you. Every parent was coming for you. All the people in the governor's mansion was coming at you. And you just stood there in grace and you got them open. I mean, it, it was just amazing. So, But I think you, your background really led you to that point. I mean, you had experience at the federal level. Um, you worked with campaigns, but also then you worked for President George W. Bush and the First Lady, Miss Laura Bush. Um, and then you started your service in the Senate um, in 2016, but not before you worked with uh, Reverend Franklin Graham in 2009. So you just have this amazing history of service. And I'm just so grateful that you're here with us today on the show. Senator Deanna Bellard, welcome. And thank you for letting me brag on you a little bit. Oh, thanks, Vicki, for really the opportunity to, to call in and talk to your constituents there um, in that district and just really excited about this campaign ahead. Like Senator Sawyer shared, I am running for lieutenant governor. I think after my three and a half terms in the North Carolina State Senate, my career service um, from, with Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Association and then in the federal side as well, I just know that I have this heart and genuine calling to rally around our communities and our families in this state and continue to fight for them. And that fight that you referenced regarding reopening schools was definitely a heavy lift. But I have to give credit also to all the parents and the moms um, who were who engaging and actively visiting us and really encouraging 
and um, supporting our efforts and my efforts. Uh, and really, I mean, I've drafted, I don't know, multiple bills yeah. um, in order to get us to a point to pass it. And then, of course, the, um, the bill, of course, went to the governor for veto. And then, of course, we were able to come back and, you know, just continue to fight and enough to it led the governor to call us and say, hey, let's make a deal. So really think that, you know, stepping into this role of lieutenant governor just really positions me well to continue to empower our parents. So like I said, I've really got to give a shout out to those moms and those parents because, I mean, some of them are not even politically active, but they were showing up and just really dialed into what was in the best interest of their kids. And I wanted them to know that I heard them. Yeah. And that's why I just continued to champion and to rally on, just like so many of our other colleagues, too, in the Senate and in the in the House. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a great um Gosh, it was a hard time yeah. for everyone. I mean, all families were going through it, but it was a lot of work. But I, I want to continue that. So. Yeah. So, and let's remind listeners too. I mean, during COVID, we didn't have this supermajority, and so for what supermajority means is basically makes your governor a lame duck. So he can do the veto stamp now, but now we have the uh, votes so that we can easily override it. But at the time. Dana, you you did not have the votes. You had a governor who was right. very powerful. Talk about that experience about just the struggle of dealing and your challenges with, at that time, Mandy Cohen, who was a daily uh, visitor to my home, on the, you know, and also the governor, um, right. and how that challenge and, and how you overcame working with the, that agency and that governor. Well, I mean, it took a lot of this relationship building through it all too. A lot of work with our Democrat colleagues um, in the Senate and the House, but also encouraging those parents to just continue to step up and to speak up and you know let the governor hear their cries for help and say, this is not working. What you're suggesting is, is just not in the best interest of you know my kid. A kid sitting there learning how to read um, via Zoom, was just, it was getting ridiculous. And knowing that we were about, we were encountering, I mean, years of probably, you know, trying to figure out how to address learning loss moving forward, because we knew the kids weren't necessarily getting the education that they perhaps needed. Some maybe were had better experiences than others. Don't discount that at all. Sure. But overall, I mean, it was just, you know, a lot of persistence and diligent work and just really kind of holding your head high while also just you know, pounding the pavement to a degree in the halls of the General Assembly and, um, you know, with the agencies and mm-hmm. to, 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 build, to get them to a position where we think we can, we can get some science to be a part of this with data um, while also knowing, you know, what, what's been working well in other states that had opened mm-hmm. and had remained opened. Mm-hmm. So just really um, a lot of work. I mean, just be diligent. You know, it's just an encouragement to everyone. You know, your voice is important to speak up and to use it. Absolutely. That's so well said. And now, and you're going to carry that expen- uh, experience, hopefully to be Lieutenant Governor, but you know, it rolls off the tongue all the time, Lieutenant Governor, LT Governor. But then when you, if you're not there, if you don't serve in the Senate, you know, you're like, what is a, what, what does a Lieutenant Governor actually do? Like, what are the job perform? You know, what is going right. on? But tell me um, from your perspective, what is the, what is a Lieutenant Governor? Right. So, you know, Mark Robinson has definitely lifted it up um, and from a more, you know, of a platform to fight as opposed to just more of a ceremonial role. But, you know, the Lieutenant Governor has a lot of opportunity. Um, first of all, they do preside over the Senate proceedings in the chamber. So understanding my work and experience there, understanding how you know, the rhythm of that and how that operates um, is, is strong uh, qualifications as well. 
And then um, also you serve on the State Board of Education for K-12, and then you also serve on the Community College State Board. So the fact that I have been so um, engrossed in education in North Carolina um, and continuing to work with both sides of the aisle in those respective spaces, uh, it just positions me in a place where I can continue that work, roll up my sleeves, you know, not just be someone who shows up to the monthly meeting, but actually work on good policy at that level. Um, and really just, you know, dig in and, you know, clean up maybe things that need to be cleaned up um, and just continuing to still be a voice for our parents and our families. Yeah, I think you're a great fit for that because if anything, COVID taught me a lot of things, um, but one is how important that role of the Council of State is. And we've passed legislation, I know you were helpful with that too, about giving the power to that Council of State when we do state of emergencies in the future and all that stuff. So you would be a major um, player in those decisions that govern each and every one of us. And you would have that um, perspective of an education leader um, because that is the 52% of our budget, right? I mean, that's a big part of what we do at the state. Correct. Yeah. Now, okay, so right. this is what like makes me almost break out in a cold sweat because <laughs> I could never imagine running for statewide office. It just, it seems so daunting. daunting. Yeah. Tell me, I mean, what does it take to run for a statewide office? I mean, what what are you looking at right now? And and what's your next year going to be like in front of you? Oh, I'm excited. Um, I am tickled to just be able to meet so many communities and families just all over our state. You know, when we were talking about the pandemic and the school reopening, you know, I met different groups from, um, you know, Carteret County, you know, all the way up to my district and Lake and, and multiple and Union County, multiple counties in between. Um, so I think the next year ahead is going to be a lot of me getting in front of people, really helping them to see kind of the value add that I continue to bring to the Republican Party and to the leadership in this state and also just to the education sector. Um, my mom was an educator for 26 years in Lincoln County Schools. So I know the value of the school community itself um, and want to continue just to, to, to tell people my story. And I want people to listen. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a proven fighter. Uh, I've been a talented legislator, a genuine, my district will tell you I'm a genuine servant. So I'm not afraid of hard work, not afraid of, you know, putting miles on the car mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what, that's what it takes to, yeah. but, you know, really telling it's, it's basically, you know, a job interview on the road, right. you know, constantly. Right. So, uh, just going to do my best and be prayerful about it. I mean, yeah. me and my Christian faith, this is very important to me. So, you know, I do ask for folks to, to keep me in your prayers as I navigate uh, from Murphy to Manio, yeah. for sure. And then you brought up a good point that I had wanted to make. You know, this this radio show that you're calling into now, I mean, we're in the Lake Norman area, Iredell County, North Mac. But you're kind of, even though your resident says Watauga County, you're a hometown girl. You're, you're, you grew up right across the river, I guess you would say, from here. And so you still, your family's still in Lincoln County, and you have a really good uh, network of support and friends in this area. So I'm so glad. Now, speaking to those network of friends and family and our listeners, um, and they want to like learn more about you and, and, and if they, you know, obviously want to donate to your campaign and tell us how to um, reach you and follow you and support you, or if they want to invite you to their local women's club or men's club to speak and meet with them, talk to about how we can help you become our next Lieutenant Governor. Oh, my gosh. Uh, just thank you for that offer as well. Yeah, I have a, re- a website that's up. Um, it's at ballardfornc.com. 
So on that page, you can feel free to donate. I mean, it takes money to reach, to yeah, reach across the state and to get your message out. So appreciate any opportunity for folks to, to give. Um, and then, you know, you can learn more about me and my issues and you can, and you can register for just kind of information that we'll send out occasionally about where we are in the campaign trail and what's happening. But also you can follow me on social media, um, on Instagram, Deanna Ballard NC. So feel free to, and Twitter, I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah. So feel free to just, you know, keep tabs in me in some of that space. Um, and I would love to just be able to engage with as many folks as I can. Um, and even, you know, different businesses and um, educator groups too. So it's, it's just a lot, you know, a lot going on, but I'm excited. And um, I just appreciate you, uh, Senator Sawyer, and yeah. I mean, all your work too. You've been fighting for the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. So you just keep it up as well. It takes <laughs> a team effort. It really does. Well, thank you so much, Deanna, for, or Senator Ballard, uh, candidate for Lieutenant Governor. Thank you so much for calling into the show today. You are delightful as always. And I will continue to announce your information and contact information during the show. Thank you so much for calling in. Oh, thank you. Yes. Have a all great right, day. Thank you. Thanks. Bye now. Well, thank, yeah, thank you. So that was uh, Senator Deanna Ballard. Interesting fact, she's not a senator now, but she will always be a senator. So in North Carolina, once you become a senator, the title stays with you for life. So um, if you are to ever see a former senator and if they're not in the General Assembly, you can still officially address them as senator. Thank you so much. We will be uh, right back after the break. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Senator Vicki Sawyer. So happy to be here on this, I'm going to dub Ponytail Friday. Um, it is hot outside because that's what it's supposed to be in July. And when you are in North Carolina, it's hot. And so some of you are headed to the beaches. And if you are, I have to say safe travels because I will be there going there tomorrow. Um, so in this segment, we are going to talk about the veto watch, but then I'm going to ask for a little bit of, let's all say, caller participation in the last 15 minutes of our show, because we're going to talk about gambling, and I want to hear your input for that. Um, but as we go through, let's talk about what a veto. So you hear these things, and we Senator Deanna Ballard and I spoke about it, and as of right now, North Carolina has what's called a veto-proof majority or supermajority is what you're going to hear about that. That's 30 votes in the Senate and that's 72 votes in the House. And that is what it takes to get a bill passed over the um, objection of the governor. And boy, has the governor objected lately. I think he knows it's his last time. And so he's just going to throw a veto out and re-ink that red stamp over and over again. So we're going to look at the bills that are will be in front of us, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, because a lot of them, if most not all of them, have to deal with education um, and talk to you and see what his objections are to these bills as per his veto. Um, the first, the, the last two that, or the, that he has objected, meaning the most recent objections, both have to do to charter schools. Now, charter schools are public schools. Uh, they do not receive as much funding, especially from local um, local governments and far as capital, which means their building. So when you see a charter school that, is pri that has been privately financed, the building, but the money does follow the child. And so there is money that goes to that school from the state and local governments to educate the child. So they are public schools, but there is always and has been a rub between public traditional schools 
in public charter schools. And that rub really meets the road when it comes to the state's board of education. And they, of course, their their team public a traditional public school. So they don't necessarily really want more charter schools out there in competition with traditional public schools. And so um, they have worked uh, sometimes to not allow charter schools to open. Uh, they have been quickly to close charter schools. They have um, kind of slow rolled applications for that and um, really been frustration about the governance of charter schools uh, from the State Board of Education uh, perspective. So one of these bills, among any things, there's various changes to the law affecting these schools. And what it would do is allow the, a new board to be at the um, state level that would just do education oversight for charter schools. Um, it's not right now, and not to get too wonky on this, but right now, the State Board of Education, which is very powerful, which chooses curriculum, which basically dictates what is being taught in our schools and who gets to teach them and how everything works, um, is all appointed by the governor. Now, this isn't a slight against Governor Cooper or Governor McCrory, regardless whether you're Republican or Democrat. These people all answer to the person that's in the governor's mansion. Um, so you could see if you're, you know, traditional public school and excited about that and, and not fans of charter schools, how that would have a traditional rub between the two. Uh, our current superintendent, tendant, uh, state superintendent, Catherine Truitt, she will also be running for re-election and does a great job of trying to balance that between the two. Um, and she has been instrumental in these bills. Um, but it is basically one of them to say is like, let's take this out of the purview of the traditional public schools board of education and let's put them on a separate oversight authority. Um, not a fan. Governor Cooper was not a fan. So the big red veto comes out uh, over that. Uh, another one, which was uh, house bill. So these are house bills 219 and house bill 618. Now, just side note, when you see that it says a house bill, that means the bill originated in the house of representatives so when it gets vetoed, it means the House of Representatives has to take that bill up first. So House Bill 219, House Bill 618, the Republican majority has to have their members there, 72 of them, to override the veto. So that is that is how this will go. Um, so both of these bills will, should be coming up. Um, Governor the, vetoed the second bill, the 618, and he just said that there's failing charter schools and will be allowed to operate and shortchange their students. Um, guys, there's a lot of failing public, traditional public schools, too. I mean, there's even in our own Mecklenburg County, we have seen abysmal test scores come out for the past 10 years in some of these schools. Um, there has to be competition between these two so that all children can learn. And this is just an option for children and parents to have choice. Um, so those two are waiting to be overridden. Um, another one that he vetoed was House Bill 488. Again, remember, it's House Bill, so it starts in the House. And it was the Building Code Council uh, to create the residential code to amend various provisions, blah, blah, blah. So huge bill. But environmentalists were all upset about it because they were not adopting these next generation, like environmentally stringent codes to 
make you and I put certain things in our homes, in our new homes, or in, you know, reconstruction, that would be more, quote, environmentally friendly. Um, So it says his veto message is this bill stops important work to make home construction safer for disaster and energy efficiency, and ultimately would cost homeowners and renters more money. Uh, It's actually the opposite there, buddy. Uh, (laughs) There are things in there that are just uh, industry pushed by the environmental community um, and that reason, which is why for his veto. So we have that one coming up. Probably the most ones that will get the most attention and the ones that I'm very passionate about, uh, the one bill, House Bill 574, I co-authored, I worked on it. Um, again, it started in the House. I was very excited that uh, Representative Jennifer Balcom, as a freshman, was able to champion this. I wanted her to do that. But it's an act to protect opportunities for women and girls in athletics or fairness in women's sports. So again, this has been really heavily covered, something that I was very excited and passionate about as a former athlete to protect women in sports. It's not to say I don't like people who are not women or, or biological women biological women. I'm just saying that if we are going to have fair competition in sports, then we need to have biological women playing against biological women. Um, He vetoed that House Bill 574, um, and his veto message was, we don't need politicians inflaming their political culture wars by making broad, uninformed decisions about an extremely small number of vulnerable children. They are already handled by a robust system that relies on parents, schools, and sports organization. Okay. Well, we have a young woman from Cherokee, North Carolina, that still has brain injury and cognitive issues because she was playing volleyball against a guy and, or sorry, biological male playing in a female sport. Um, And this guy wasn't actually really big. I mean, he wasn't like a strong buff guy. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's, it just, you know, but anyways, so when he went to go spike the balls, you can see it actually, you can look it up on YouTube. She went down and her head hit the ground and she's still suffering to this day. So an extremely small number of vulnerable children, I would say there's an extremely large number of vulnerable children. And those are women athletes who are playing sports that we should not have that to happen. We have seen this you know, litigated over and over again in other states. But I'm so excited that we have the um, this veto in front of us, and I'm excited for the House to bring it over to the Senate because I'm ready to get this into law. Remember, it also does K-12 education, and then we added in colleges, both private and public colleges in North Carolina. The last one has been very, very um, hotly debated as well, and it's something I'm in complete support in, House Bill 808, an act to prohibit gender transition procedures procedures for minors. So in other words, if you're less than 18 years old, take the hormones and the the, uh, surgical procedures away and let a kid be a kid. Thank you so much for listening. This is Senator Vicki Sawyer. We're going to talk all things gambling coming up and welcome your calls on WSIC. Thanks.
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for calling or for listening in. This is Senator Vicki Sawyer. Uh, last 15 minutes before vacation. I'm so excited and I hope where I go, there will be no cell service. I kid, I kid. We'll be around for you all that you need. But this uh, last segment of the show, we're going to talk about something that's very controversial and I do want your opinion. So feel free to call in on the studio phone number at WSIC here at 844-STUDIO-4. That's 844 844- 788 Um, So it came out, actually it was leaked, and uh, something I am not a part of, but now understand what's happening, is there is a push to develop and bring in casinos, or what they're actually terming as entertainment districts. They're just not casinos. So you're going to talk about basically a Carowinds with a casino on the side. Um, the draft language that I've seen, again, I was not a part of it, um, it shows that there would be basically four new entertainment districts, uh, both or all of them in rural North Carolina, but near interstate. So think of um, Rocky Mount, which is in the Wilson I-95, just east of Raleigh, a little bit further east of Raleigh area. Uh, Anson County, closer to us, which is uh, I-74, if you're going down or Independence Boulevard and you just keep going towards the coast, Anson County is one of those places that uh, another entertainment district is slated to go into. Rockingham County. So this is in between, I would say, Greensboro and Danville, Virginia. There's a spot there. And last but not least, uh, an entertainment district that would be run and um, utilized by the folks of the Lumbee Nation. Um, that is down in Pembroke area. Again, that's kind of where I-40 and 95 come together. So there's an there's an area there that that would be. So the, the idea, again, is not just your CD casino at the um, Jersey Strip or, or somewhere like what you think about, but more of, again, a entertainment district like a mini Carowinds that just happens to have a casino. Now, what was interesting to me um, is that there are, with these jobs, no tax dollars spent on incentives. So it'll be one of the largest economic developments ever done in these areas with a zero tax dollar incentive. Um, The estimate is 1,700 jobs per entertainment district with an average salary of $50,000 a year. That's big. If you've been through Anson County lately, that is unheard of. Um, That's a big draw for that area. Um, They're going to, these entertainment districts would have water parks and family venues, concert venues, restaurants, entertainment. um, And each one of them are estimated to have about a half a billion dollar investment from these other areas. So that's the kind of the lay of the land for why uh, the folks who are pushing the casinos or the entertainment districts in North Carolina, um, what the push is there. Uh, no tax dollars spent, huge economic incentives, $50,000 a year jobs for these areas that would not have any type of hope of, of maintaining these districts. Now, the return of that. So let's do the other side, and in all fairness. Um, 
people, and especially in North Carolina, we have a tradition of not liking casinos or gambling. I remember one of the big issues, especially when we were doing the state lottery, is it was very contentious and we barely, it uh, barely passed. Uh, people think that it is a, um, people think that it is a, um, sorry, there's a beeping in my ear. I didn't know what that was. I do know, William, hold on one moment. We have a, a caller on the line, but hold on one second. Let me do the other side of this. Um, so folks who do not like casinos, sometimes there's religious um, concerns about it. Other times there are people who say it's just a tax on the poor, that we are going to deplete uh, not only the moral character of these folks, but their pocketbooks, and that it is preying on the those of us who are most vulnerable in North Carolina. Okay. So I wanted to get out the other side of it too, because I didn't want anyone to know. And I truly am... Um, open-minded on both sides of this issue and haven't been swayed one way or the other. But William, thank you so much for calling in to the show. Uh, feel free. Oh, you have a question about vetoes. Okay, William, go right ahead with your question about vetoes. Okay, sorry, William. I apologize about that. I wanted to make sure we had got through through all of that. Um, but you are welcome to call into the show if you want to talk gambling, 844-788-3464 or 844-STUDIO. Um, there's also a conversation around what they call video uh, VLT. So video uh, licensed uh, terminals. And so um, that is where you see, and especially, well, in Anson County, actually in Wadesboro in that area, you'll see what these are is these mini casinos, like they look like mini casinos and they go everywhere and they we've tried to pass all these laws to get rid of them, but they still keep popping up. Um, so what this is idea is to allow that a current restaurant or uh, gas station or um, a current business that is providing customers uh, a service other than gambling to have up to four of these video licensing terminals. I think I'm saying licensing, but maybe my brain's already on vacation, but it's VLT. Um, and they would be regulated by the state of North Carolina. Um, and they would be um, actually where they're unregulated now and illegal now and popping up everywhere now. This way, it would be a way for um, us to regulate an unregulated business and be able to pull in um, possibly hundreds of millions of dollars of additional revenue. Again, um, to lower the overall tax burden on everyone else. Um, you know, going to those video gaming terminals, you know, for more than a decade, the General Assembly has been trying to close down what they call a sweep takes, sweepstakes parlors across the state. And it really has come down to your uh, sheriff and some sheriffs uh, like ours, Darren Campbell, who's just was recently elected to uh, the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. Congratulations, Sheriff Campbell. Um, you know, very, you know, strong stance on that and make sure you get get them as much as he can. But it is so much a moving and shifting sands thing because they can go anywhere they want. Um, the, Okay, we got William back on the line. Hey, William, sorry for the delay earlier. Welcome to the show. You're on with Vicki Sawyer. Hey, Vicki, real quick. I'm in transit, so I may lose you. I'll try to get this in. Yes, um, pandemic hit us real hard, and in some ways we're still dealing with that. It's calmed down some, but is there a plan in place should that pandemic arise again? And I, in my opinion, I think it will. Okay. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. um, is there a plan in place to keep the kids in school? Yes, sir. Um, we should have never kept those kids out of school as long as we did, in my opinion. 
Preach it. Amen. Yes, sir. So when we came back with the supermajority, um, when I was talking to Senator Ballard about that, we passed legislation that would only that would limit the amount of days a governor could declare a state of emergency. So no more of those like 400 days states of emergency. I think it's 60 days, 30. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But it's within a month or two. Um, and then the state of emergency declaration has to go to the Council of State, which means Lieutenant Governor, you know, um, Secretary of State, like those statewide elected folks who run different agencies. And with, only with their vote can the um, state of emergency come back in. So, yes, sir, we've we've reined in the governor's powers on that um, was one of the first things we did when we came back because it was it was that was absolutely crazy. It was just nuts. Absolutely. And I know if we could get Mark Robertson in there and the lady friend that you had on your show earlier this morning um, representing the state of North Carolina, it would help the school systems out for sure. Absolutely. The governor we got in place now did not do a thing, in my opinion. He kept the state closed for too long. And let's face it, schools are our future. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I have my grandchild out of school right now. She's being homeschooled for other reasons. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was one of them, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, But nonetheless, Schools, teachers, and students and children are our future. And it is a business like any other business, and it needs to stay open. And we need to have plans in place to counteract these problems that come arise like we did during the pandemic, in my opinion. Yes, sir. I agree. And even even more important as to why we need a Republican council, state, and governor is the other side is putting up Josh Stein, who's our, attorney, our current attorney general. And he has refused— to defend laws or to help to open schools. I mean, during this whole pandemic, he was the one right there backing Governor Cooper and Mandy Cohen through all of these draconian measures that shut us down, killed small businesses, has damaged our children irrevocably, and he's now up on the ba- uh, slate for 2024 to be our next governor. So we really have to come and make sure we get a Republican governor. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Vicki. Yes, sir. Well, we just have a few more minutes here left, and so we will kind of just put a bow tie around this uh, issue of casinos and video gaming terminals, and absolutely we'll try to get someone on who can speak maybe on both sides of this uh, that are in the industry or in who are against the industry to see what we can have as we explore these next options. Um, So we are... um, we are going to continue. I don't know. People have said, hey, this is going in the budget. There's been no indication from our leadership that this is going to be in the budget. Um, This is absolutely a conversation that will continue to happen. um, And that one that I think we should have, um, it is a major economic driver and engine for areas that would not have an opportunity to have anything else. Um, Again, though, you have to think about the other side of it, too, at what expense. So um, I do want to thank you so much for listening in today. I will have a guest host here, but then I promise I'll be back in steadfast nature on Fridays as soon as we get back from vacation. Um, Thank you so much again for listening to WSIC Radio, and um, thank you for your support, and I am so honored to be your state senator. And if you need to know anything more about me, you want to contact me, make sure to reach out through my website at senatorsawyer.com. And you can also reach out to my legislative uh, my legislative office um, if you just Google me and put it on. So thank you so much for calling or listening to the show. Thank you.